Wait a minute. Who am I here? Everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Exploit It. I'm Alexis Strowski. And I'm currently uh, getting my disguise ready. <laughs> I, I thought you, I was totally expecting you to go, who am I here? Oh yeah, Kevin Daly. Yeah, I almost, I was thinking about that one too. Yeah, who am I here? <laughs> oh yes, that's right. Uh, but this week for Father's Day, we're talking about The Stepfather from 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. Morrison isn't his real name. What is it? God knows, we don't. His personal history was falsified and his prints were untraceable. It was possible Morrison had done it before. You can call me sentimental, I don't care. I have beautiful friends, I have a wonderful new family. <laughs> so what do you think? Can we give this little guy a home? Sure. That's my girl. He's a wonderful man, and he wants to care for us. I don't know. I just... There's just something about him. Oh, that guy in Bellevue that killed his whole family. Cut him up with knives. Maybe they disappointed him. All we need is a lawyer here. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Isn't he a good boy? He's had his little angel. Hi, honey. He's just some crazy creep. Don't you talk to your father that way. He's not my father. How can you even bear to let him touch you? Stop it! We have to talk, honey. About what? About what is happening to our family. I'm taking care of it. He scares me, Dr. Pondre. Who am I here? Help me! Help! You're a very bad girl. The Stepfather. And this is actually a really good movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I was thinking it was going to be like just like trash, bad like slasher film. It's actually very good. No, the sequels are, but this one's good. Yeah, I'm sad that they even bothered to have sequels. I'm going to pretend they don't exist. Until we do them next year? <laughs> yes. Until, uh, you, until you force me to acknowledge them, I will pretend they don't exist. <laughs> so, director Joseph Rubin, he directed the Pom-Pom Pom Girls, which we're doing um, in February. Oh, okay. He also did such classics as Sleeping with the Enemy, Money Train. Oh, God. And The Good Son, which is something we should do. Yeah, we... We should. That's the one with Macaulay Culkin that's, like, murdering people, right? Yeah, Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood. We star Terry O'Quinn as the, the titular stepfather. Yes, uh, John Locke himself. Yes, and he's awesome in this movie. Oh, he's great. It is quite a performance. And the movie just starts with music over credits on a black screen. Music is by Patrick Moraz, the keyboardist for Yes. Oh, that score is pretty decent. Yeah, well, he Ooh. wrote... A bunch of songs for Yes and the Moody Blues. <laughs> I mean, Yes is a good band. I'm not as into the Moody Blues, but... Oh, I was never into Moody Blues. Martha made me listen to Nights in White Scent a fucking million times, and I hate that song. <laughs> but I'm cool with Yes. Yes is good. Yes, they're a good band. And then a little bit of trivia I found out is that the, the cinematographer for the film, John Lindley, he was hired as a last-minute replacement for the original director of photography, who was arrested in a domestic violence dispute right before shooting was to start. Wow, that's, uh, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> that's tough to just step in and be like, oh, hey. You did a good job, though. Actually, really good job. Yep, because the, uh, the original DP was stepfathering at the time of this movie. Apparently, shit. <laughs> so the film starts when it actually finishes the credits. 
with just like this regular ass suburban street, trees. There's a fucking paper boy going down the street. And then we get Terry O'Quinn bearded and covered in blood. Yeah, the, the movie just goes for it. And oh then, shit, it's off topic, but the guy who did the cinematography, John Lindley, did the cinematography for the core. Oh, that's another one we have to do. I love the core. Yeah. Anyway. I just saw the core on that list. I'm like, oh, shit. I love that movie. And then we also see Terry O'Quinn's ass. Yes, and a little bit of side dong. Just casual side dong. Side, side dong. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. It's not really full frontal. It's like full sidle. He takes a shower where we see the side dong, apparently. Yeah, you even made a note about it. I wrote just some casual dong. That's what I wrote. My note is we see Terry O'Quinn's ass, and then you focused on the side dong. Look, I have no excuses. I just saw some side dong and made a note about it. Um, he, he completely changes his appearance. He uh, tears off his... Wait, wait, no, he tears off his hair later. He just yeah, that's, styles that's his hair. Yeah, shaves the beard. Puts on some glasses. No, he takes glasses off. Yeah. And he's leaving this house. There's happy family photos of little kids being happy. And he's putting, like, kids' toys away. Which makes what happens next so fucking ghastly. Yeah. Because he's the, the phone is off the hook. The house is trashed and covered in blood. And look, there it is. There's a dead family. And my note says, Gah. Yeah, the movie uh, the movie pulls no uh, no punches. Yeah. Cause, just right into it. Hey, he's just walking past his dead family, putting toys away and whistling camp town races. I mean, look, we all get mad when our kids don't pick up their toys. But that's not an excuse to murder your whole family. Yeah, they weren't even his. He was the stepfather, and uh, we gotta we gotta focus in on the dead little girl holding a teddy bear, just to drive it home. How fucking ghastly this scene is. This dude's leaving his DNA all over the scene too. Like he's like touching the phone and shit. I'm like, dude, come on. Oh yeah, he's putting toys. That's because he doesn't care because he has no plans on like being the same person. Well, I mean, it's not like he can hide the fact that like, oh yeah, the. The patriarch of this family fucked off when everybody else was dead. I know. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty obvious. Though, uh, man, that scene is unnerving. Like, we've watched a lot of shit, right? On this, Just for the show. And that was one of the more unnerving scenes I've seen. I mean, a lot of movies know when to pull back when you deal with dead kids by just not killing kids. This movie, whole dead family, children with toys are just covered in blood. Yeah, and... Uh, it's just enough violence to incite your imagination without it being like, you know, limbs strewn across. It's just like a bunch of bodies covered in blood. Obviously, some stab wounds are involved, but that's about it. Beyond that, you can just let your imagination fly about what actually happened. Yeah, and you know it's him because he's just whistling Camptown races. Doesn't give a shit at all. Um, he gets on some ferry and just tosses the, the luggage of evidence off the boat. It's 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 established later, but this is the Seattle area. I recognize the Puget Sound right away. Ah, uh, I've been on those boats, and it's a pretty good place to dispose your murder paraphernalia because the Puget Sound is super goddamn deep. It's uh, average of four hundred and fifty feet deep. It's the deepest point is nine hundred and thirty, so it's really hard to fish that shit out of there. Yeah, that's pretty deep for a coastal area. Yeah, it is really, really deep. And then we get one year later, jaunty music as we meet the new victim family. Which right. we know they're the victim family. They are the Blake family. Uh, we get Jill Sholin has the teenage daughter, Stephanie. Who's 24 at the time and looks it. Yeah. She's supposed to be like 14, 15. I think they say she's 16 that later when she's like having that really sweet goodnight kiss. And his and stepdad thinks he's like trying to rape her or something. Yeah. Well, I know she doesn't have a driver's license. So I assumed 15. I'm pretty sure they say 16, so... Yeah, then we I have... I mean, to be fair, I didn't have a driver's license until I was 19. So. I got mine at 16, but it got taken away at 17. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Then we have Shelly Hack as the mom, Susan. And they're they're just a, a good, fun mother-daughter. They're playing around with all these leaves because it's autumn. And they're yeah. having a good time until Jerry comes home. The, if the, that's his real name, it's not. It's not. not. <laughs> We don't actually ever learn this dude's name. He has like four names. Yeah, <laughs> like, in this movie, know, you toss right, in the names from the sequels. We don't know what his actual name is, and even like the police, nobody knows what his actual name is. His name is Stepfather. 
stepfather, yep. But my notes call him Jerry. That's what they call him through whatever, 75-80% of the movie, so that's fair. So Jerry's home, and so Susan's like, oh, hey, Jerry. And Stephanie, the daughter, she's like, she fucking hates this dude. Granted, you know, her father's still warm in the grave when mom's jumping on Jerry here. Yeah, she marries him pretty much right after her dad dies. Yeah. Timeline. Because it's established that her dad died about a year ago, and this is about a year later. So this dude shows up, like, right as her dad dies, which is sus to begin with, but it's not something that's really addressed within the context. Of the yeah, and Stephanie totally resents him. And so Jerry's trying to, to win over her favor and gives her a dog, and he talks about how, oh, I named my dog Rin Tin Tin. And apparently that's what he names this dog, because he refers to the dog later as Tinny. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie never has a name for this dog. No, I don't think she ever uses it. You know, and he's like, that's my girl, and Stephanie is just like, fuck you, and goes inside. And he has a line of, I I hope she doesn't think I was trying to buy her love, even though he totally was doing just that. Yeah. You know, and then we get some more about Stephanie, because she goes to see her therapist, Dr. Bondurant. Yeah. Really overcomplicated name. Yeah, well, they wanted to make it sound fancy, because, you know, doctor, psychiatrist, like, psychologist, not entirely sure. Oh, wait wait until next week. There's a character with a fucking name in that, mo- that, that one of those movies. Oh, boy. Stephanie's mad. She's got a dead dad and shitty stepdad, and she's getting in trouble at school. Yeah, and the psych says, well, you have to accept that your mom has remarried and your dad is dead. And, you know, your mom has moved on, and it's good for her. And I'm thinking, like, yes, in, in the context, in a non-meta context, Yes, that is true. However, in a meta context, we totally know this person is a psychopath. Yeah, we, we've already seen him murder. And then so she gets out of therapy, goes with lame-ass stepdad. I mean, this guy, we've seen him murder a family, but here he's just so fucking milk toast and cheesy. Well, that's because that's what he wants to be. He wants to be the lamest dad ever? He wants to be Lord Cleaver. Yes, he does. That's what he wants to be. But it's 1987, and even in 1957, that still wasn't accurate. still wasn't real. And so he's telling Stephanie, it's like, it's important that you get along better in school this year. Smash cut to a fucking brawl in art class. Man, yeah. Girl fights are uh, intense. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's really, a- like, I've seen some real ones. They, uh, they will fuck each other up. Yeah, Stephanie is just there in, like, art class. There's paint. Stephanie is just beating the shit out of this girl. We don't even know why. We never learn why. No. Like, Stephanie doesn't even have a story about, like, oh, well, she t- said this thing. You know, no. She- the only thing we get is the one boy saying she didn't start it. So, presumably, the other girl said something. Yeah, but Stephanie finished it, and boy, did she yeah. finish it. Yeah. And the teacher, obviously, you know, because of her history, yeah. blamed her. Um. She gets her ass expelled. And I'm thinking, like, where were you in the fucking class? <laughs> like, this guy, the art teacher just kind of appears. Like, where did you go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you step out for a bathroom break and then fucking chaos happened? Step out for a smoke and just leave your 16-year-old kids to do whatever the fuck they want? Here, paint and murder each other. I'm going smoke. No, I'm not a teacher, but I uh, I have I have a brother-in-law who is, and a cousin who is, and, and my brother-in-law teaches uh, high schools, high school kids, and I'm pretty sure he wouldn't let them just chill by themselves and let them fuck around as much as they want. Oh yeah, when I was a teacher, you 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 really sh- never leave the classroom. <laughs> yeah, that was fucking ridiculous. Anyway, like, like if if you got to pee, you hold it until lunch. I mean, you you know, whatever. It's it's for the plot of the film. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jerry, we learn he's a real estate agent. He sells houses to families. Yeah, because he wants. Yeah, to families specifically. This guy is hard for families. That's right. his thing. But only perfect families. It's kind of yeah. Ultimately, the problem. And, and he's talking to uh, the little girl in this family, and he's, like, pushing her on the swing while the, the parents look at the house. Because he, he's a winning real estate agent. Yeah, go look at the house. I'll, I'll talk to your daughter outside. And he's, he's super creepy looking, too. So it's like, you gonna leave your daughter with that dude? Yeah, and he's like, 
Oh, I have a daughter. Her name is Stephanie. She goes to Oak Ridge High. Then when the little girl is like, oh, I'm in third grade. I remember when Jill was in third grade. Yeah, little, that, was, that was the one you killed. Yeah, and it takes a minute. Oh, 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 yeah, no. My daughter Stephanie, she's on the student council and a straight-A student. Smash cut to her telling her friend, I'm expelled. Yeah, none of that is true. And then Jerry finds out, and he's like, girls don't get expelled. <laughs> yes, they do. And I said, <laughs> fuck you, misogynist stepdad. Yes, they do. Also, have you ever seen a girl fight? <laughs> yeah. They're not too different from what we saw in this movie. No. I've seen a few, man, at least. Whew. I saw a fight once at the, the state fair. Girl took off her, her shoe and beat the shit out of some other gal. I feel like with guys, there's a, there's like an unspoken, <laughs> there's some unspoken rules <laughs> when you get into a fight that don't apply when girls beat the shit out of each other. There's just hate. A friend of mine, she got in a fight with a girl, and when I ran to, to break it up, that, that woman's husband thought I was attacking her, so he threw me to the ground and kicked me around and, and broke two of my ribs. But my friend, she got the f- oh, her face was bashed in and shit. You got off easy. <laughs> I got. I was only beaten up by the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Girl fights are vicious. I know. Well, and uh, she earned her expulsion, though. You know, she. You, you like her as a character, like. You, She's not like a, like, oh, I hate this girl. She's cool. but No, you know, she's you cool. You know she has problems, and for good reason. And we know why she has those problems. Yeah. Her dad died, and her mom married this piece of shit. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. This is some Hamlet shit. This Holy is. Shit, this movie's Hamlet. Holy shit, this movie's Hamlet. It is Hamlet. Oh my god, this movie's Hamlet. <laughs> This girl is Hamlet, because throughout Hamlet, they're talking about how fucked up he is and how he's got all these social problems and getting into fights. Oh my god, this movie's Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even notice that. Oh, okay. Well, Hamlet, no. <laughs> yeah. So, so That's really funny. Princess Stephanie wants to get the fuck out of Elsinore and go to a boarding school. That's right. Unlike uh, other movies we've seen recently, this one, she wants to go to the boarding school. And you know what? She should. Yeah, that way she that dude would only kill her mom. It, well, and actually, for her own sake, it, she'd be good at a boarding school. Because it's her home life that's causing all of the, the upset in her, in her right, world. Right, well, and she, and she knows that. Yeah. She's trying to find an out, because God knows her mom doesn't give a shit about how she feels. Jerry is like, you can't have a family without children. No, 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 the children must stay in the the house. Pumpkin. That pisses me off that he calls her Pumpkin. And then he's like, father knows best, Pumpkin. Father doesn't know shit. And I say that as a father. And I'm like, even if we hadn't seen him murder an entire family, his condescending attitude towards her makes me hate him. Yeah, he's locked in a different time. In an, an ideal world that he can't have. So Jerry goes down into the, into the basement where he ha- he's got like a woodwork shop down there. Well, time to prepare the murder dungeon. Yeah, and he's just sawing the shit out of everything. He's just dealing with his stress. And um, meanwhile, Stephanie's like, I just can't. I, I, I'm not liking him, Mom. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're not blinded by, you know, your own feelings... People are pretty good at having a sense of when someone is problematic. Yeah. Like, you could just tell sometimes. And somehow Mom is so blinded by, I don't know what fucking charm Jerry threw on her. Did his fucking witchcraft or something, that's the only explanation. Well, she he, he was right there, waiting in the, uh, right in the, uh, in the bushes for, <laughs> for her husband to die. Pops out of the bushes at the hospital. <laughs> I mean, he is quite a predator. Like, the way he behaves, that's predatory behavior. It's, it's actually impressive. Oh, fuck. In the sequel, his job is a marriage counselor, and that's how he preys on widows yep, he, and divorcees uh, in the sequel. Geez, well, yeah, he's, that's stepping up the game even further. <laughs> yeah. But here, he's just like... Old dopey faced watching Mr. Ed and just Yeah. Well it's it's the thing. He's obsessed with you know, the ideal American family, right? So he's that obsessed with 
bullshit 50s sitcoms. Yeah, and he's so into Mr. Ed. And then uh, he, he tells Susan, he's like, Oh, it wasn't until I got to high school that I realized that horses couldn't talk. Although my note, it calls him the R word. Susan thinks this is fucking hot and just, they go right at it. Yeah, I mean, you can see she just, she's just, uh, she's feeling, I guess that's why she, right after her husband dies, I gotta have something. Oh, you were a teenager when you realized horses couldn't talk and you watched Mr. Ed fuck me right now. Look, I'm not gonna kink shame. Whatever you're into, lady. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why she ended up with him. She wants a cognitively disabled husband. Ah. So, uh, let's put her into the, the movie The Baby and we'll, we'll be... Yeah. We'll that's be what late. she wants. And poor Stephanie, she's she's trying to read The Outsiders and all she hears is her mom and Jerry fucking. Yeah, it's hard enough to hear your, like, actual parents fucking. Let but, alone hitting your, like, mom fucking, like, some other random dude. <laughs> So she's got to put on the music and listen to Run Between the Raindrops by Pat Benatar. It's, a, it's better than listening to your stepdad and mom fucking. Yeah. Then we have what my notes continually refer to as B-Story Jim. <laughs> the brother? The brother. The, well, the the brother of the dead family. Yeah. The, the, dead, the dead wife. The dead wife. Her brother. Yeah, and he's with this reporter pulling up to the house we saw at the beginning, which is now all boarded up and looks like the fucking Freddy Krueger house. It does, actually. He's like, I'm going to find the guy that, that did this. I'm going to find him. It's been a year. I, I need, need your help. But nothing happens in this scene, because as I said, this is B-Story B Jim. Well, we learned that the reporter was there, and it was horrific, and he doesn't want to go back inside and think about it again. Yeah. We learned that, that Jim... Has figured out the general geographical location of where this guy might have went because it had to have been somewhere within commuting distance. Yeah, he had to he, c commute to his new family. Right, because he had uh, he had quit his job three weeks before the murder and pretended to go to work, probably finding another job, setting up with you know with uh, Susan and, and uh, all that stuff. But he had to get home by normal work time. So he pinpointed the the area within like a geographical radius that that could have been done. So he has a a rough estimate of where he might be. So Jerry, meanwhile, he's having a big barbecue at the house. And oh yeah, and Jim Jim asked the reporter to run a story with the picture of the of the dude to see if he could get some hits. And that's generally the whole point of that scene. Yeah, is just that the point because it sets up the next one. Yeah. But anyway, Jerry's having a big old barbecue where he's invited, like, families that he sold houses to. He gets a picture with his family. Susan is happy, but Stephanie is just, she fucking hates him. <laughs> Good on her. She consents evil. Yep. And Jerry gives this big fake-ass speech about the American dream and families. Is it? Funny thing is, it's it's fake to us, but I think he actually believes the shit he's saying. Yeah, and how important it is to buy houses, which in this economy, nobody under 35 will ever experience. True. I was watching this thing about John Oliver, and he did a, he did a show about HOAs, <laughs> but yeah. then he did a, a backup show, which was like a, a, only on YouTube, where he's like, our main story tonight was about HOAs, but if you're under 35, you'll never experience it. So we've prepared an entirely different show for you about Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> uh, we have one very nearby. We went for uh, one of my nephew's birthday. It was still fun. Oh, they've changed a lot over the years. Yeah, no more like physical tickets, which is kind of depressing. But you know what Chuck E. Cheese is big about? Family. True. Jerry would love Chuck E. Cheese. He, Jerry would have loved Chuck E. Cheese. He'd go there to meet all the single moms. Oh, God. Yeah, he would. He would. He, this dude creeped around Chuck E. Cheese's in his life. I know that. Hey, hey, does your family need a dad? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he seems like a pedophile, but it's actually like not that. Yeah, oh, oh, pedophilia would be just totally against his idea of family. I know, it would. But he still wants to, <laughs> just this weird way of behaving, like, incredibly creepy. Like, even not knowing he's a fucking murderer. And that somebody reads the article in the newspaper about, like, oh, there was that guy in Bellevue that killed his family. 
And they're like, how, how could a guy do that? And Jerry just spits out, they disappointed him. And actually, at first, nobody corrects him. Yeah, no one cares. Like, no, yeah. no one cares. They're like, yeah, maybe they did. But you, you got a good point there, Jerry. <laughs> and um, he's staring down Stephanie when he says that line about disappointment. And um, so he just takes the newspaper and folds it up into a fucking hat and gives it to some other kid. Yep. <laughs> Which... It's stupid, but actually important later. So Stephanie goes to get some ice cream, and Jerry's down in his, his workshop basement just totally fucking freaking out. Yeah, uh, turns out he may have endured some shit as a kid. Yeah, he's screaming dad shit. Yeah, he obviously was uh, not treated particularly well by his parents. Yeah, he's screaming, we need order around here! We gotta keep the family together! You get the feeling that he was probably part of some sort of his parents divorced or one of them walked out on the other or something. There's some sort of abuse. Yeah. There's definitely a psychological trauma. He's trying to fi- he's trying to find something he can never have. He he tells Stephanie he's like, "Oh, well, you know, that was just the stress of being a salesman. You know how it is." I mean, I don't know how she knows how it is, but it is it is tough to be a salesman. Yeah, it is. But I it's mean, a good it's a, it's a, it's a good clever excuse. But yeah, Stephanie doesn't buy it at all. No, because Stephanie knows he's full of shit. But and, um, also, she, I love that she's going in for the ice cream in the freezer, and all all I can think of is Jerry. Where are the body parts? <laughs> but she finds the newspaper hat, and therefore the article, which it's like a little paragraph article on page fifty, you know. Yeah, he doesn't, the, Jim doesn't get his picture that he wants in the yeah. paper, which does show up. It is addressed. Yes. So Stephanie reads the article and is like, that's it. That's fucking Jerry right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a leap, Stephanie. But you, I mean, you're correct, but. <laughs> that's a huge fucking leap. That is, that is a, a leap of logic. Meanwhile, B-Story Jim is really pissed off about that picture not being in the newspaper. Yeah, uh, Stephanie decides she wants a copy of the picture because they didn't post one. He's like, man, if I can get one, then uh, maybe I can see if he matches. Stephanie, after she she sends away for the picture, she goes to her therapist, and she, she mentions boarding school, expecting to be shot down, and the therapist is like, yeah, I think that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. And she's like, really? You're on my side? Dr... Boop-a-doop or whatever. <laughs> Bondurant. Yeah, Bondurant. Bondurant. Yes. Who's like, I should have a talk with your stepfather, which that's going to come to play later. Yep. So Jerry Jerry finds the envelope from the newspaper just right before Stephanie comes home with, with his picture in it. His, which, and his fashionable Freddy Krueger shirt. Yeah. Which, that's intentional, by the way. Is it? It's a reference? Yeah. The director is intentionally referencing Freddy Krueger with... Um, not just that sweater, but like a lot of the all the clothes that Jerry wears are red and green like that. That's funny. Even my wife noticed it when she was. Uh, Why is she wearing the Freddy Krueger shirt? Like, I don't it, know. Yeah, um, but for some reason the uh, the newspaper has the fucking glossy eight by ten headshot of the guy. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like when you send away, like when you send away for the headshot of some famous person, <laughs> or when you're auditioning for something. Yeah, you expect it to flip it over, and his resume is on the back of all the roles he's been in. Yeah, his SAG card. Yeah, and uh, Stephanie shows up, and he's like, "Stephanie, you got a thing in the mail that you should not be looking at. It's this issue of Cosmopolitan." And so he goes and has another basement freak out. Jerry committing some mail fraud here. Yeah, but he he starts just like he's stabbing the air in the basement. He's swinging a hammer. He's rehearsing murder down there. Yep, not not particularly balanced to be weapons, but but they do work. He calms down and starts working on this like epic ass birdhouse. To this point, I wondered if Jerry had some sort of disassociative identity disorder, but no, just a psychopath. Just a psychopath. And when he's when he's fully calmed down from working on his like multi-story Victorian birdhouse, yes, this is a pretty epic birdhouse. He goes upstairs and Susan's like, "Oh, hey, Doctor Bondurant would like to to talk to you," and he's just, "Fuck no, I will not talk to that man." Why? I don't know. Maybe he knows that his his veneer of sanity is so thin that a you know the doctor will see right through him. Like even a strip mall therapist can strip away that facade. Yeah. 
back to B Story Jim, and he's talking to the police about the case. You know, it's like this guy has a pattern of murdering families. Yeah, he's camped out in front of, <laughs> in the in this like in the lieutenant's spot to force him to talk to him. And the lieutenant's like, "Well, all we can pretty much do is wait for him to kill another family." Yeah, because they they have no leads. The fingerprints were they couldn't match the fingerprints to anything. They they're pretty sure this guy was using a fake name even then. They there's nothing they know about. They have no leads. It's a completely cold case. Even his hands are stolen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Mr. Ripley. The police lieutenant's like, well, my suggestion is that you go get a gun and murder the man. I know, the, the <laughs> police lieutenant is like, do you some vigilante justice, sir? I'm yeah, like, I won't right. care. Go, go get a gun and murder him. Fair Which enough. Exactly what Jim does, because the next shot is like him in a, in a shooting range. Getting, getting his, his shoot on, yeah, getting getting the practice so jerry's way of getting out of having to talk to dr bondron is going into the the school to see the the old school principal and i guess he goes down on her or something it's it's, it's that scene from uh forrest gump but (laughs) reversed gender reversal gender reversal and instead of keeping your kid in the school it's it's a it's getting instead of getting your kid into school, it's keeping your kid in school. Because Stephanie's welcomed back into the school with open arms, so problem solved. Jerry no longer has to talk to Doctor Bondurant. Yes, except Doctor Bondurant still wants to talk to him. Yes, and then we get a uh, Stephanie is flirting with a boy, whose boyfriend oh. material, and they have those feelings. And it is very cute, very wholesome. It's cute and wholesome. But you know watching this that Jerry will hate it. Oh yeah, because Jerry's a fucking psychopath. I mean, we don't know how bad he's going to hate it and what's going to happen, but we know that this is bad. Right. And she gets home and she gets this fake picture in the mail from the newspaper, just some dude. It's another glossy 8x10 headshot of some other struggling actor. Jerry's uh, then a little swapping. Yep. So Dr. Bondurant, his, his solution to meet Jerry is to call and set up a, a viewing of a house. So he, he goes down to, to view a house, just pretending he's a guy looking to buy a house. And Jerry's like, oh, yeah, this house is for families. And Bondurant's like, oh, yeah, families and all that crap, which is a triggering phrase for Jerry. Yeah. Like, like Bondurant hasn't even played his hand, and he signed his death warrant already. Yeah, and I don't know if that was intentional, or he just, I don't, I don't know what he was doing there what Bonnerant was doing like what she's trying to provoke him yeah well he's using a fake name he's like my name is ray and yeah i'm a bachelor <laughs> yeah well but he's not so he's obviously playing the role of a bachelor who doesn't like, like families bachelor, for some reason but yeah it's interesting i did is that something that uh stephanie told him like off screen that he's like obsessed with family and so he's intentionally triggering him to try and psychoanalyze him yeah, J- Jerry is in fact Vin Diesel. It's all about family. <laughs> it's all about family, and Jerry's like passionate. He's like, "Sir, this house is for a family. Like, like get the fuck out. This is a family house. We don't have room for you, fucking bachelors." So Bondurant's like, "Tell me more about your feelings. Why, why do you like families?" And Jerry's like, "Uh oh, you're you're trying to psychoanalyze me. I get it." To where. Bondurant fucks up. He's like, yeah, my wife gets on me about that. But I thought you said you were a bachelor. Recently divorced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still getting used to it. Jerry calls bullshit and just beats him to death with two by four. Yep. Screaming about, this house is for a family! Hi. Sorry I'm a little late. No problem, no problem. Ray Martin. Hi, Ray. Jerry Blake. It's a great looking house. Yeah, wait till you see the inside. Come on, I'll show you around. Sweet home. 
All that crap. What line of work are you in, Ray? You don't mind my asking. Oh, not at all. I'm in stress management. Oh, sounds complicated. <laughs> the kitchen has been all remodeled. Built-ins, I like this. I try to find ways for employers and employees to get along with less friction. I ask questions, they give me answers. For instance, how do you sleep at night? Uh, how do you sleep at night, Jerry? I sleep like a baby. See, that's interesting. Because I think there'd be a lot of stress in your line of work. I suppose there's a certain degree of stress in every job, Ray. It just uh, depends on how you handle it. Which way am I facing? North. Run in here, Ray. A great big room for kids to tumble around in. You know, a house like this should really have a family in it. You mean you won't sell it to me because I don't have one? Oh, no. I didn't say that. This is all being remodeled. You really are a cheerleader for the old traditional values, aren't you, Jerry? Well, tradition is important. Sounds like you had a strict upbringing. You might say that. Let me ask you a question, Ray. Sure. Are you interested in buying a house or in me? Sorry. Force of habit. My wife gets on me for that all the time. I thought you said you were a bachelor. Uh, recently divorced. I see. Sometimes I forget I'm not married anymore. Probably just stress. Who are you? How'd you get on to me? I don't think this house is right for you. I think you'd be more comfortable somewhere else. This house is for a family. You know what I mean? A family? Home sweet home? All that crap! Because that's his thing. It's, it's all about family. Yep. He puts Bondurant in his car and he, he fucking Michael Bay's that car. Yeah, he does. He he rolls it off some cliff and it 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 explodes and like even Jerry's taken aback. He's watching it all wide-eyed, like God damn, I, I didn't expect that. So he just walks away, whistling Cap Town Races, walks all the way home, and it's like the next day that Stephanie's working on her bicycle in the garage. Yep. When menacing as Jerry opens it and glares at her and goes, "You're you're." Your therapist is dead. Yeah, she's she's uh, very sad. Yeah, and he he tries to to comfort. He's like, it's well, it's one of those stupid, unnecessary accidents. To where my note asks, are are there necessary accidents? Oh, oh, all things are necessary. It's all part of fate. And then he's like, but it's it, it's it's our family now. Nothing will ever split us apart. Meanwhile, B-Story Jim is, is searching the murder house. Yes. Where where his sister's family was murdered, and he finds this travel and leisure magazine with pages missing. Yeah. It's like, ooh, maybe if I can find a, a intact copy of this magazine, I, I might know where he went. Which he does. Incidentally, I think, at like incidentally, a f- I think he inherited this house. This is like his house. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but he finds that issue of the magazine at, like, just a fucking like convenience store it was a library oh it was a library okay that makes more sense that they would have you know, a library because you know libraries keep their magazines around for a while oh well they they archive them all yeah and it's only a year old so it probably wouldn't even been that hard to i would sometimes just kill time going to the library and reading 20 year old issues of 17 <laughs> wouldn't that be a wouldn't that be negative three yeah but um yeah so that he was a bad joke i'm sorry everybody <laughs> um b story jim discovers you know through the travel and leisure mag that the the missing pages for for like the best cities for raising families and one of them was what, what was the name oak, of this town oak something oak bridge oh yeah yeah and he's like, aha. That's where it. I'm going. <laughs> and um, meanwhile, the, the Jerry and Susan and Stephanie, they're like happy family now. Um, he's wearing a fucking flannel with elbow pads. Look, it's 1987. Yeah. He's wearing fucking Freddy Krueger flannel. Um, and they put up that stupid-ass birdhouse. 
And he's like, there will be a family of birds living in there. Well, you gotta make a little birdhouse in your soul. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I have a note here. of This dude gets so fucking hard for families. And they're having Thanksgiving dinner now. But it... Except for the food on the table... I didn't know it was Thanksgiving. I thought these people just fucking dressed up to eat a turkey. Well, I mean, they're doing the stupid prayer. How do, by the way, how does this dude actually, like, pray knowing the shit he's done multiple times? Oh, well, I could say a lot of things about false Christians, especially during Pride Month when they hate us. Yeah. I, I'm just surprised he just doesn't go immediately up in flames. Yeah. And, um, so... They're, they're eating their Thanksgiving dinner, and then Stephanie meets up with her boyfriend later that night on his moped. Well, I don't think they're boyfriend and girlfriend yet, because she mentions him hanging out with this other girl. Well, and uh, him saying, uh, you know, I dumped her. It's like, really? No, she dumped me. Yeah. But, but um, obviously, he doesn't give a shit, because he's got a crush on Stephanie anyway. Do like when he pulls up on his little fucking, like, Vespa? And she's yeah, like, I like that Stephanie's like, get in the fucking back, I'm driving this bitch. <laughs> but she she goes, ooh, look at the road warrior. I know, I like that. Yeah, and they, they drive home and they, they, they share a goodnight kiss, like, no, not even tongue. And Jerry just opens the door and is like, you could go to jail, she's 16 years old. Yes, you're right. Because I put the line there that she's 16 years old, so you were right, she's 16. And he goes, I am too. <laughs> He's like, I'm 16. Like, what's your fucking problem? Susan runs up, and Jerry's like, this punk was gonna rape her! (laughs) And, um, so Stephanie's like, you're crazy and demented, fuck off. And Susan's like, no, you have to respect Jerry, and slaps her. And so she's like, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah, she runs away. And then Susan's like, okay, Jerry, you fucked all of this up. This is all your fault. Jerry, you destroyed our family. You go find Stephanie. Not wrong. He did fuck that one up. Yep. And and he kind of admits it. And he goes, well, I guess it's time to murder and move on again. Yeah, like, this is the point he's decided to murder them. Stephanie goes to see her new therapist, who's just this, like, dull old woman, who's like, are you Stephanie? And she's like, oh, no, sorry, wrong office. Um, she, she walks into Balderon's abandoned office across the hallway and just reminisces about him. And that's when she finds about that uh, Bondurant had an appointment with Jerry that night that he died. Yep. And speaking of investigating, B-Story Jim is fucking going door to door looking at random men trying to find the stepfather. Right. Well, he managed to get a hold. He had this whole scene in the in the the police office. I guess it's the police office of the town. Or he's just trying to get marriage certificates for everybody in the last year. Oh, yeah. So he's... He- and the cops like fuck off, and the the assistant at the front's like, "I could help you," and he flirts flirts with her. He's like, "You're so gorgeous, you can help me." Yeah, I remember that. And she's like, "Okay," so that's why he's going door to door. So Jerry has now quit his job, and he's taken a ferry to go start to lay the groundwork for for the next life. I, I will say this: I love one of the scenes, and he's going door to door, and the lady is like getting ready to just like abandon. <laughs> Her husband, and you know it's they're like, newlyweds because he's only going with recent marriage certificates. And and she's and he's like the and she thinks he's the cabbie, and he comes. The dude comes out. It's like, are you the bastard who's doing it? And and, all, and Jim's just like, just like throws him up against the wall. It's like I'm not the, I'm not the cabbie. I, I love it. Dude comes out throwing hands, and, and Jim's like, fuck around and find out. Dude's like twice his size. Like, yeah. That little, little nerdy. It's like uh, Rick Moranis. In, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire, exactly. But anyway, Jerry, he, he starts changing his costume on the ferry. Yep. And this is where he takes the toupee off. So now he he's going in bald with a, a fake, like, peach fuzz mustache and some glasses. He looks like a fucking pedophile mugshot. I mean, this might fly in like Ohio. I don't, yeah, <laughs> not sure that look is uh is kicking it in, in the Seattle area, but apparently. And um, he goes to an interview to be an insurance salesman. Where first of all, the fucking question of what's your favorite type of insurance? 
Like, <laughs> who has a favorite type of insurance? Insurance salesman, I guess. Who, who's, who's like when they're when you're paying your bills? It's like, oh, I got to pay the home insurance, but I get fucking hard for the car insurance. <laughs> but no, Jerry, he's like family-related insurance, life insurances must protect families. Yeah, he is very, uh, he's very single-minded. Yeah, and the the the, the guy there's like, oh, you have the job, psychopath. Also, I have a note here. There must have been a scene, another scene in a basement, because I'm just like, man, it must have been hard for serial killers in Southern California where we don't have basements. Oh yeah. They had to go out to a shed. Yeah, people, bury people. They have to actually work for it out here. But um, Jerry goes back home, and it's just a quiet dinner. He's just angrily eating because he knows he's going to murder this family. So he's not even trying anymore. Nope. B-Story Jim just misses him because he, like, he goes off to work where his new identity now is Bill Hodgkins. Yeah, he's not. He, he's done the same shit. He's quit his job at the car salesman. He's doing the thing. He's pretending he's still working there. All that. Good. Yeah, but he's he's off in his new identity um, in Bill Hodgkins mode, renting a house. Immediately, like, oh, single mom. Hello. Uh, well, I'm sure he picked the house because there was a single mom next door to him. Oh, that would make sense. Like he didn't even. Because he's a predator. Susan, you know, after she talks to B-Story Jim, she calls the, the real estate office. And they're told that, oh, Mr. Blank is no longer connected to this agency. And so she's got the truth, you know, just before Jerry comes home. And we're, we're, we're working towards climax here because B-Story B Jim is racing the clock in his 66 Plymouth Barracuda. <laughs> Getting stuck behind uh, some kids crossing the road. <laughs> yeah, he's going to fucking run these kids down to go kill Jerry. Um, and when Jerry comes home whistling Countdown Racist, Susan's like, hey, they told me you, you quit your job. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's bullshit. I, I, that was that new girl. She got my name wrong. I don't know how she fixed it, fucked it up. My name's Bill Hodgkins. To where Susan's like, what? And that's where we get that fucking awesome way he delivers that line of, who am I here? <laughs> Oh, yes, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> and then, thank you, honey, fucking knocks her out with the phone and shoves her down in the cellar. Hi, honey. Where have you been? Showing the Morton house to some folks from California. Don't lie to me, Jerry. What? I called your office today. I didn't get a message. Of course you didn't get a message. They said you stopped working there several days ago. What? The receptionist said that you left. That idiot! That new girl can't be... Susan, I never got anyone fired in my life, but that girl, I don't know. You mean you still work there? Of course. Where else would I be? I don't know. I just... I don't know what I thought. I'm sorry. This is very upsetting. Old man Grace is still there. No, forget it, honey. Forget it. She probably just got the name wrong or something. Hodgkins, what's to get wrong? What did you say? Huh? Wait a minute. Who am I here? Jerry. Jerry. Jerry Blake. Thank you, honey. You all right, sweetheart? Again, just so hard. It's it's so easy in areas that have basements, I'm telling you. And so, you know, we get more of B-Plot Jim and his fucking Barracuda before J while Jerry's trying to find the right knife to murder the family with. He's, like, looking at all the knives in the kitchen and screaming about, like, little order around here, families and shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's lost it again. And there's a scene where you think he's going to kill the dog, but thank God he does not. Stephanie comes home and interrupts that. Yeah, I'm not even sure he had planned to kill the dog. He seemed pretty affectionate with it, but who knows? He's a psychopath. Yeah, it could have gone either way, really. 
And so Stephanie goes right up to take a shower where we get this, like, fucking awkward as hell third act nude scene. You don't see that in movies. <laughs> it's a third act nude scene. And yes, I know the actress is 24, but we are well established that this character is 16, so it's kind of creepy. It's creepy, and we just get this full, like, nude scene as she showers and uh, during the middle of the climax of the movie. Very weirdly placed nude scene. And, um... Oddly, when we she takes her clothes off, it's like the same camera angle as the beginning of the movie when we maybe saw. That's, maybe that's the point. But what so is the point? The there, there's no yeah. purpose to these being no. parallel. <laughs> no, I I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So exploitation film, yay! There Nudity is. for the sake of it. Nudity for the sake of it. So B-Story Jim has finally completed his arc and shown up at the house for Jerry to just fucking stab him right away and kill him. Yeah, I actually kind of came at it as a surprise to me because it seemed like it seemed like the ending to me was going to be Psycho Jerry starts chasing the mom and the daughter around the house trying to kill him and then Jimmy shows up at the end there and and shoots him and gets his revenge and happy ending everybody. No, Jerry doesn't even get a chance to fire the gun. Nope. He's got the twenty foot rule and he gets uh he gets shanked before he can even pull the gun out of his pocket. He steps in the house and Jerry's like, Hey Jim Ogilvy stab So like everything with Jim was just totally totally pointless. Well, it, it it's it's pointless up until, except for the point that he brought a gun to the house because the gun is important. Oh, the gun is important, yeah. So his whole purpose was to get the gun to the house. So Stephanie finishes her shower and Jerry starts like, "I'm gonna kill you, bad girl." Yeah, it starts going full uh, shining on her. And yeah, she locks herself in the bathroom. He's like, "Oh, open the door. It was a misunderstanding." Yeah. And uh, no, she she starts stabbing him with glass. Uh, she runs and hides in the attic, and this is... Jerry goes up in the attic and he falls through the floor, which it's, I've been seeing this a lot in movies lately, of people, like, in attics just falling through the floors. We yeah, had that should, in, um... Gotta check that dry rot. Jesus. We had that in, uh, fucking Malignant. We did. We have it in a movie next week, um, and it's here. Just people falling through attics... They're just not, again, they're just not checking for dry rot on those beams. Susan manages to get herself out of the uh, the basement, and she shoots Jerry before Stephanie stabs him in the heart with a butcher knife. Which is relevant for the sequels that shouldn't exist. Well, no, <laughs> it's relevant in saying that they shouldn't exist. They never mention it. The sequels, he's just fine. Yeah. He's a fucking robot. He's he's the stepfathertron. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, his his primary directives are like comfort widow, raise children, kill John Connor. Yeah, assassinate Lincoln. <laughs> Actually, there's another podcast I listen to called Movie Dumpster, which is a really good podcast. Should check it out definitely. But they they did an episode on stepfather, and they theorized that he's like part of a winter stepfather program. <laughs> Like, he's a normal guy, but certain things, like, activate him to become the winter stepfather. Like, the, the key words are, like, birdhouse, family, Mr. Ed. <laughs> it, just, it just goes psycho. <laughs> it's the Manchurian stepfather. Yeah, basically. I like their take on it. Because they also go all the way up to, like, part three, where he falls in a wood chipper at the end of that movie. But his hands live... <laughs> And his hands go on to become, one of them is the thing from Adam's family, and the other is that hand from Idle Hands. <laughs> they if really become, thought it out. I mean, if you become thing from, from Adam's family, I mean, he gets his wish, right? Now he's part of a family. Oh, he's in a family. It all works out for him in the end. Stepfathertron's wish is to be the father of the family, not just the hand pet. Well, <laughs> sometimes you, you gotta take what you can get. So, my note here is that Stephanie actually really fucking needs therapy now. Yeah. But we get nice, the same shot from the beginning, just a different street now, with the suburban street, the fucking paperboy going around. And, um, Susan and Stephanie, they they cut down that goddamn birdhouse. 
She cuts it down with like a fucking turkey cutter. She's taking less time to just kick it down. <laughs> yeah, she, she she wanted it to hurt. She's like, fuck this bird family. Yeah, no. Luckily, no birds in there because that would have been very sad. There might have been, and we just didn't see. We see the crushed house. We don't see the the dead I mean, birds inside. I mean, this is a movie that didn't didn't pull any punches on the dead kid in the beginning of the movie. So, I mean, why would it pull the punches? They have some cracked eggs and a <laughs> dead baby bird roll out. Why not? You go in, and there's like dead birds and like one little baby bird just going ah 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 while its family's dead around it. Some I would- sort of. I'm guessing this is some sort of symbolic broken home, too, is that... Could be. It's how it ends, and this is where the franchise should have ended. Well, I mean, yeah. there's... The second part has its moments when we get to it. But the dude was stabbed in the heart. I mean, we're going into full... Sla- this is not a slasher movie. <laughs> yeah, and the second one, it just starts with him, like, in a hospital, being fine. Yeah, this isn't a slasher movie. This is like a psychological horror film. I mean, it's it's more in the lines of like uh, Silence of the Lambs than it is like Halloween, and it does its best to not feel like a Lifetime movie. Yeah, because the subject matter is Lifetime movie. So uh, apparently, the uh, they based this guy on mass murderer John List. Yes, who murdered a whole family and uh, escaped justice for eighteen years before he was apprehended in nineteen eighty nine. Two years after the movie came out. Do you know how he was apprehended? Uh, he was on the first season of America's Most Wanted. Yeah, and his family turned him in. As they should. It's interesting because you, you read about basically a lot of the shit that happens to the stepfather and this happened here. And some interesting things that came out during the trial, what he was saying was, let's see. Keeping in mind, this movie was made two years before he was apprehended, though, too. Yeah, it was actually somewhat prophetic because... Let's see, what did he say? Uh, authoritarian fathers teaching regarding the care and protection of family members. So they were they guessed right about um, the motivation. Motivation of you know his like his like the crux of his like psychoses, which is pretty impressive. That well, see, the screenwriter went to visit Hannibal Lecter <laughs> <laughs> to get information about serial killers and motivations. Right. Brought some fava beans and some nice Chianti. And is like, can you profile this killer for me? Yeah. Pretty pretty interesting. Crazy story. Oh, wow. I, yeah, that is. I'm pissed off, too. I mean, obviously, whatever. It's, dude lived 18 years with a new identity, remarried until 1989, and then spent the rest of his life in jail, which was less than that 18 years he escaped justice. Like, he, was a, he died at age 82 in in 2008. So, like, he escaped justice to just completely raise a family to adulthood, practically. Yeah. yeah. So he still got his fucking dream. He probably didn't care he was going to prison. He's like, I've accomplished the fathering. Yeah, you know, he had, He also had this weird thing about, oh, the world is evil, and I have to kill my family to make, the, make sure they get into heaven so they don't hang around in this horrible hellhole of a world any longer. Yeah. Fucked up guy. I mean, he killed five people. Yeah. And then went on and had another life. 1989 to 2008, yeah, he was in jail for 18 years. Like, motherfucker lived most of his life. Not fair. But that's life, right? That's life how is. it is. But The Stepfather is a great film. Yes, The Stepfather is, in fact, a great film. I will take this over the 9 p.m. taco shop coffee. Yeah, of course. It's a, This is actually a really good like psychological horror movie that I think is it's actually underrated, in my opinion. The other ones go more more slasher. Yeah. Even though part two gives us Carolyn Williams, who was um, Stretch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. I did like Car- I do like Carolyn Williams and Meg Foster. Yeah, and Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, yeah. We get Evil Lynn from. Uh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> when, when we get to that one, we get Evil Lynn and Carolyn Williams, and then Jonathan Brandis. Yep. But that'll be probably next Father's Day. I don't know. I already threatened you with doing Father's Day next Father's Day. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, the uh, Jonathan Brandis is very much involved in our next movie. He was? He's the narrator. What? <laughs> what it says. Narration. Uh, of, of, of Pet Cemetery. 
Yeah, yeah, our bonus episode is Pet Cemetery, which I did not know was narr. There's no narration in that movie. That's <laughs> narration. Who the fuck? Is there like, is there like a line where there's some narration? There's no narration. There's no narrator. Was it cut? I don't know. You got a credit for narration at Pet Cemetery, 1989. So. But the, the fucking narrator in that movie. I'm, you know, I'm just as puzzled as you. But apparently, that was a thing that happened. Is there some like TV version where they they cut out important scenes and just had to bridge it over with a voiceover? That's that's possible. To where Jonathan Brandis' voice suddenly comes on, and then the baby died. Baby? (laughs) Don't fucking tell. But yeah, our bonus episode, so stay tuned for Pet Cemetery, narrated by Jonathan Brandis. Apparently. Allegedly. Next week is Bees. (laughs) As in not the... Yes. So, yeah. We're doing bees movies. Bees. And I will give you this one for free. It's not the bee movie. Oh, uh, what's that opening line from bee movie? I meant to use it. I don't remember. Like, it's, it's a year. scientific fact that bees shouldn't be able to fly or like it goes against the laws of physics. Right? Yeah, that's the thing about that urban myth about bumblebees or whatever the fuck. But bees don't care because bees don't care what people think. Bees give no fucks. Yep. These are the honey badgers of the insect world. We'll find out more about that next week. So make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, if you like what we do, uh, leave a review. Let others know. Help get the word out. And also check us out at Twitter at Podcast Exploit or contact us at exploitpodcast at gmail.com. So join us for our bonus episode, Pet Cemetery.